0: Everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. That's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Welcome back as we continue season two of The Leading Second Podcast. Let's go.
1: This is The Leading Second Podcast where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team.
0: Well, welcome back to the Leading Second Podcast. My name is Brandon Stewart. We are so excited that you're here today. In fact, today we're going to be having a conversation I've been looking forward to for a really, really long time. You know, we made the decision for season two of the podcast that we weren't going to play it safe. You know, that we were going to go there in our conversations as much as possible. And today we're doing just that. So get ready. Here we go. It's going to be an awesome episode. So honored you joined us today. All right. So for our first segment today, um, it's been our heart for this season of the podcast to uh, share some crowdsourced stories and questions From the Leading Second Tribe. And today I'm excited for you to hear from another tribe member in a segment we call our I Am Leading Second stories. So let's check out what God is doing in the life of another Leading Second leader.
1: Amber and I serve as the executive pastor for Dream Center NYC, as well as director of our in-house leadership program here in New York City. I have the honor of serving amazing pastors, Brad and Stella Reed, that set the bar high when it comes to walking out a life of radical faith and joyful obedience, all while resting in the finished work of the gospel. We have a young staff. My pastors are 41 and 40. I'm 37. The rest of our staff are between the ages of 21 and 26 years old. And we're learning to maximize the strengths of our generations while gleaning from those ahead of us. Living and serving in arguably the most diverse urban city in America, we are constantly challenged to think quick on our feet and outside of the box. Leading Second has reignited the value and importance of a synergized team where each individual part of the body is fully flourishing in their unique calling, together in harmony as one. It has inspired me, encouraged me, and challenged me to fan the flames of God's call on my life and those around me to pursue unity at all cost. It is a reminder that I don't have to serve, but I get to serve a vision and mission bigger than myself. I can't and won't do it alone. We were built for community. I lead from the second chair because we are better together. The plan for the church doesn't rest on one individual, but rather the collective of what Jesus is doing through us. Through the championing of my pastor's vision, God has brought me to walk in my personal purpose and destiny. I'm Amber, and I am Leading Second.
0: If you'd like to have your question featured on the podcast, or if you have a question that you'd like to hear us answer uh, right here on an episode, I'd encourage you to join the Leading Second forum on Facebook and submit your question or your story. We would love to feature you on an upcoming episode. Well, today, without further ado, I am so excited and honored to welcome to the Leading Second podcast, a global communicator and leader who I highly respect, Cy Rogers. Cy travels extensively internationally, uh, speaking to churches and audience on issues of God's grace our humanity, even our sexuality, our relationships. If you've heard Psy, you know that today is going to be really, really good. In fact, Lindsay and I had our lives changed years ago uh, when we had Psy into our church, and I believe his perspective on life and humanity will really help you today. And I guess I want to put this disclaimer, this note on why we're choosing to lean into these topics uh, today. Like I said earlier, we don't want to stay safe. When it comes to season two of the podcast, I believe that issues of God's grace and issues of our humanity are going to be defining issues for our generation of the church and how we respond to these issues really matters. So today, I guess we're talking on two levels. I just pray that we're talking straight to you and straight to your soul and whatever your humanity and whatever you're walking through and whatever from your past you know you might be dealing with. Uh, may today just minister to you right where you're at. But then also I pray that today helps us to just continue to get it right in the conversation of our culture as uh, leaders who are in churches interacting with with our community on a regular basis. May this conversation serve you all well. So here we go today, without further ado, my conversation with Cy Rogers. Well, hello, Cy. Uh, It's good to talk with you today. Thanks for joining us
2: on our podcast. It's my pleasure to connect again with you, Brandon. And uh, I am so impressed and blessed to see how God has raised you up and given you opportunities, just like we've got right now, to take some of what I've earned and learned in the journey and turn it around to encourage your listeners.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and I, I just want to take a minute before we get into our conversation today. And I just have to say, and this is I, for your benefit, but maybe more for the people listening today. Um, I was so excited to talk with you. Um, what you 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 may or may not even remember these days, but I think you're probably at our church maybe ten years ago, um, for the first time. And I'll never forget the first time you were here, it was a youth night. My pastor was gone. That meant our like motley crew of youth leaders was in charge of hosting you that night.
2: And- I remember.
0: And after service, um, we trapped you in the green room for, it had to be a, at least a couple few hours, and you told us, ask any questions you want. And I just wanted to let you know publicly, and again, if I hadn't before, that night, you changed my life and you changed my wife's life in, in our thinking of God and His grace and His plan for our lives. Um, we walked out of there changed and different and i uh, just wanted you to know that those couple hours staying up late um with with a bunch of youth leaders i just wanted you to know it's really it's, it's had a lot of kingdom fruit uh for many years since then
2: that's above and beyond what i would have hoped to occur as a man of a certain age who loves to share his opinion you know naturally <laughs> i i was honored and eager to invest. But more importantly, you know, your generation is now making it smart, stepping into your role as leadership. And it just shows me what a great investment opportunity that proved to be. And uh, again, it was a, an honor to be able to encourage and contribute in part to how God has uh, shaped your journey and your consequent ministry. Uh, I really do uh, Thank the Lord for opportunities like I've had over the years. You know, for your listeners, if you're not familiar with me, I've been in full-time ministry almost 40 years, and in a work that is cross-culturally, uh, uh, cross-cultural. Yes. About half my life has been lived outside the U.S. in Asia, as well as the South Pacific, and so uh, you know, it doesn't think doesn't cause me to think that I know everything, but it causes me to, um, I don't know have perspective as I look back over my personal and professional life. And I I just love to take some of those insights learned and invest them. And so I appreciate the encouragement. Absolutely.
0: Well, you are a gift to the body of Christ. Um, Tell us a little bit about your family before we get started today.
2: Well, you know, uh, I've enjoyed being married now going into my 37th year. Karen and I met in ministry. And uh, it wasn't love at first sight, if you will. We were colleagues, but we developed a friendship and then a romantic bond that's lasted these many years through the ups and downs of life. We love being parents, and especially now, we love being grandparents. Um, you know, I've got a seven-year-old grandson and a two-year-old granddaughter, and frankly, if I can just put it this way, in addition to all the joy that comes with that package, um, you know, For me, it's a real testament of two things. First of all, those grandkids exist because I chose to bow down to God yes. at a very vulnerable time in my life. They would not exist had I not made certain decisions once upon a time those decades ago. And also, it's evidence of who I chose to listen to. If I had listened to the voice of my popular culture, if I had listened to the naysayers, even in the church who criticized me, if I had listened to uh, the voice of, of friends and, and uh, others in my life that used to have a lot of influence, if I had listened to their opinions, I would not be talking to you. I would not be married. I would not be serving the Lord. I would not be a daddy and a granddaddy. So who you listen to, really, really matters. And I'm so thankful that in spite of the circumstances of my life at that time, God's voice uh, was above the fray. And he lifted me like a good shepherd out of a ditch and onto a path that enabled me to be able to say the things I've said to you right now.
0: Man, I am already fired up and you're just on the intro here, so I think this is going to be a good good conversation. Um, Hey, um, before we talk anything serious, I maybe have a couple truly life-changing questions for our listeners today. (laughs) (laughs) I like to ask these of everyone we talk to, so here's here's a couple for you. Rapid fire style, Um, are you a morning person or a night owl?
2: I'm both because my natural bent is night owl late morning, but I fly for a living. So I am up early. Other schedules determine the way I live my life.
0: Yep. I am into that. I hear that. Um, (laughs) when you're, when you're at the coffee shop or Starbucks, what's your coffee order?
2: Uh, well, I'm a flat white guy, and thankfully now that has been introduced to the American market. It's popular yes. in places like Australia, but I have lived for many years in uh, the South Pacific and uh, consequently have come to uh, enjoy a good flat white, no sugar. But, you know, I'm really not a coffee snob. I, uh, As long as it's got caffeine, just about any form of coffee will do.
0: That sounds good to me. Uh, are you an
2: Apple or PC guy? I really can't make that declaration public. Oh. I think that <laughs> life deserves to have some degree of mystery. I'm a guy who really <laughs> reveals a lot of personal stuff and am vulnerable in my public life. So we'll just keep that one a mystery. <laughs> and I'm ready for your next uh, inquiry.
0: I, lo- I love it. Um, what does what does Cy do on his days off?
2: Well, these days, my happiest occupation, of course, is to be doing just about anything with the grandchildren, especially at this stage of their lives. Uh, You know, I did not know my grandfathers. They died when I was very little. So I want my grandkids to know me. And I'm thankful that we all are able to live together in the same community. And uh, so a lot of my free time revolves around their lives right now. And I could not be more delighted. But uh, of my own interest. You know, I still love taking walks and talks with my wife. I live near the sea and uh, going out and enjoying that bracing sea breeze and the cliffs and the bluffs along the sea is something uh, that I uh, still enjoy very much. It's kind of my God space. I go there and it puts me in a God frame of mind.
0: Absolutely. I, um, And I think when you travel Extensively, like you do for a living, you, you, sometimes it's the simplest moments of just breathing in, in in a space like that that make all the difference, right?
2: Oh, I, I agree. It, that's why I call it my God space. You know, yeah. it's my uh, it's my need for some solitude. And I live a very public life, and then also I think it just gets me recentered. You know, C.S. Lewis. Oh uh, no, I'm sorry. It was Oswald Chambers who said uh, to a believer. Uh, nature is a sacrament of God that is nature isn 't God, but we partake something of God, who designed these environments that we experience and uh, people have different likes some for some people it 's a walk in the forest or on a trail for other people like me it 's the rugged bluffs and cliffs and beaches of New Zealand where I live for other people uh, you know it it may be that space in a coffee shop in the urban milieu but um, you know, I think we all kind of have a go-to, and um, that's one of mine.
0: I love it. I love it.
2: Well, today we're going to
0: have, I think, what's going to be a fairly wide-ranging uh, conversation. Um, but really, what I wanted to talk with you about today, um, for all of our leaders listening, is is being a healthy leader and being a healthy young leader. I think um, young leaders or millennials, if you want to use that term, are facing very real challenges today. Um, and no greater challenges will we face than those pertaining to our past and our soul, our soul health, um, even our sexuality. And so um, I would just love to have that conversation with you today. And I think to get us started, I'd love everyone listening could just hear a bit of your story. I find it so incredible of meeting Christ and and where you come from in that. Well,
2: thank you. You know, uh Again, I want to make it clear to those listening that, again, I don't think I've arrived. I don't think I know everything. But, you know, I have learned a few things along the way. And that's why I always say the miracle is not that God just saved me out of a particular ditch decades ago. But rather, it's that I walked on with God. And I walked on with God, uh, you know, with all of my humanity and vulnerabilities that would put me at risk living a public life under scrutiny, and doing so traveling sometimes 150,000 to 200,000 miles a year, and being a teaching pastor presently in a you know a, a dynamic Hillsong family church in uh, New Zealand, and uh, living uh, a life where I address sexual issues as part of my professional life, and coming from a history where. Sexuality deeply impacted my personal life and uh, affected my perceptions of God and faith. You know, all of that makes me a vulnerable person um, and a targeted person. But at the end of the day, we cannot leave God out of the equation and how he has helped me manage these vulnerabilities rather than being victimized by them, is something that I'd love to be able to share insight. But as you've asked, I think it is right to begin at the beginning with my journey and why this would become a life passion and a life mission. Uh, So like many people, I grew up in a broken home. I grew up in the American Midwest uh, in a church culture with a church on every corner and uh, God was not a foreign idea to me. I believed in Jesus, the savior of the world, but circumstances really robbed and misdirected my life. Um, My mom was killed in an accident when I was a small child, and then after her death, I was separated from my dad. But even prior to those traumas, uh, I had been already sexually violated by an adult man, a family friend who had access to me, and I learned things I was never supposed to know. that said uh you know this is at a time decades ago in culture when we did not have the awareness and the ability to have more um more healing conversations about these things uh i was of a culture But these things were swept under the rug and certainly as a small child who experienced these things i didn't know to whom to go and uh Yet, um, as I began to move into the schooling age, people began to pick on me. I I don't think uh, they understood the consequences of what they were doing. And most of my classmates did not mistreat me. But there just seemed to be that handful of bullies who found me as a weak, soft person. And they began to pick on me and label me and began to pound that into me, if you will. And as I grew older, that became much more specific and they began to kind of become this chorus, this unified voice again and again saying these things to me. And, you know, I began to wonder why is that? And I'm sure there were many people who observed this, but they didn't quite know what to do. I'm sure there might have been people empathetic toward my plight as they watched this train wreck begin to unfold. But, you know, people weren't trained to know how to intervene uh, in bullying or intervene and take me aside and uh, share with me a right perspective. And so uh, there wasn't really anyone there to defend me. At least that's how I felt. So though I was on swim team and football team and track team and I was an Eagle Scout, uh, You know, uh, I even later would become an exchange student and then would even later volunteer and join the U.S. military. So I could prove myself capable as a young man in any of these endeavors, I felt terribly inadequate in my masculinity. I felt failed as a man. And so we are not surprised that I began to become confused about my sexuality. I began to trade sex for validation. And I began to look for any kind of validation I could get from any source. And if that was sexual, I was willing to do that. And uh, so by the time I was a young adult, you know, by the time I was uh, pre-college and college age, I was sexually promiscuous and very, uh, very... um, if you will, uh, cornered by my sexuality, it became the key vehicle through which I would look for validation. And if some Christian on campus, you know, at school would try to, you know, say that what you're doing is wrong, or you need to rein that in, I would, you know, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, disregard that. Because to me, what they're really saying is, uh you know, you need to line up with our moral teachings, and if you don't, you're bad, and God is mad, when the way I interpreted that, too, was, well, what are you going to do to validate me? This is, you know, bad bread's better than no bread, and uh, I know what makes me feel loved, I know what makes me feel good about myself, and I'm not willing to trade that away just to satisfy your ridiculous and outdated moral standards. So, Into all of that, I went, and uh, I was living quite far apart from God into Eastern mysticism at the point that God intervened in my life in 1979. And when I say intervened, I had an encounter in the privacy of my home when I was not looking for him. It's nice you can seek God and find him, but it's also nice he will go looking for lost sheep who don't know better. And I credit the people in my life, like my praying grandmothers, whose prayers God honored and God cornered me. And I had this profound experience in his presence. I don't know that everybody needs that, but for me, probably nothing less would have worked. And in that encounter, God revealed that he loved me that he was calling me to himself, and that he wanted me. And I could not believe this. Uh, I was stunned, frankly, that he would condescend to demonstrate to me that my life somehow mattered to him, Mm -hmm. and that he would bother to reach toward me. It was very emotionally overwhelming to me, and, and also very frightening, because it brought me to a crossroads. And I I really needed God to uh, let me know that this was not some delusion in my head, Uh, and so I asked him for a sign, and I profoundly had one three days later. I perhaps will go into more of that in time, but uh, the bottom line was, now that I knew God was no longer an idea or a code of ethics to debate or some religious option on the spiritual buffet, uh, I, I could not help but you know, be compelled to respond to him. And he, he challenged me from Proverbs uh, 3, which I did not know was in the Bible. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't leave your own understanding about this sign, but walk in the light that I will give you. And I will then be responsible to direct your steps. And adding to it the idea that I'm going to give you redeemed manhood sigh, not manhood like your culture says you have to be a man. I'm not an American, I'm not going to give you American manhood, but I will give you redeemed manhood if you will walk with me. And wow. so there, uh, there came the invitation and I said yes. And uh, not only the flood of peace and relief that was afforded me, but the sense that God is not a judge rating my performance in life, but rather had now become a father wow. and, and an advocate to help me go forward into his intentions. In other words, he would not be setting me up to fail. He would be setting me up to succeed in growing into the shoes of his intention for my life and uh, seeing him become an advocate that he was not mad and I was not bad, That I was just human and vulnerable and had been misled and that he was now the empathetic high priest who was compassionate toward me and would be a shepherd to now lead me forward down the path of his purposes, behaviorally and in life destiny. Yeah. And uh, change the path of my life. He did not wave a magic wand and instantly transform me into Vin Diesel that I'm often confused with today (laughs) in airports around the world. But what he did begin to do was he began to bring cleansing to defilements. He began to bring healing to my angry, wounded heart. And he began to dress himself up and his love and his mentoring. He began to dress that up in the skin of tangible relationships in the family of faith that um that that loved me effectively that discipled me and you know i'll never forget the guy who was my home group leader and he was in my bible college class and he became the best man at my wedding and he said you know Sai." uh I've not had the exact history you've had, but I've struggled with lust and I've struggled with insecurities. And if God can help me with my stuff, he can help you with your stuff because your problems aren't sexual. They're just human. And that revelation from an everyday everyday guy uh, truly um, was like God with skin on speaking to me that – Regardless of my particular history, you know, it's our humanity that is the same. And Jesus has shared our humanity, and he gets what we're up against, and he understood what I'm up against. And he didn't invite me into a code of ethics only, but into a life journey where he was there to be the strength where I am weak. He was there to provide encouragement when I felt like a failure. He would be there to truly, as cliche as it sounds, to lift me up when I felt like I couldn't get up again, and to not let me give up on myself. But he did cloak that in the flesh and blood of the family of faith that loved me forward from my past. And uh, first of all, that is so beautiful. And
0: um, that's immediately what it brings to my mind is the family of faith. I'm fascinated by the idea. That in light of your story and what you just shared, I'm fascinated by the idea that potentially every Sunday, in churches, every church listening to this, that there are people walking through our doors in that in that same condition, and 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 it's our job, isn't it our job to steward that, and to steward every single person walking through our doors? We don't know their story. God knows their story and may have brought them just to our house for, for his time and for his purpose.
2: Well, you know, I, I, I so appreciate your recognition of that fact and underscoring that, certainly I am very well aware of my audiences. Back in the day, I used to host TV and radio programs, which specialized in addressing sexual themes. And so I became very well acquainted through those platforms of uh, the kind of needs in any congregation. And pastors who have often not been well-trained in their uh, their Bible colleges, you know, they don't go to Bible college, they think, to become therapists. But frankly, you're only <laughs> in ministry about 10 minutes when you realize right. being able to do an exegesis of Scripture is not the same as knowing how to help a person. Right. And already, as much as people will say, oh, in today's confused relativistic culture, we've got to hold forth standards – I don't disagree with that thinking. I understand where that's coming from. People are ignorant and or are misled and or are confused and they need a clarion call pointed toward the healthy path. I get that, but at the end of the day, it must be dressed and cloaked in uh, the language of understanding and compassion because when people struggle sexually with the history of abuse or with the present struggle of addiction or with desires they don't understand or some porno battle or some history of Memory and fantasy that still calls their name. They are already behind the eight ball of shame, just out of the gate, just walking in the door. They, they, you know, they may have struggled with masturbation that very day or the night before, or or some other issue that has made them feel disqualified from God's love, or questioned their redemption, uh, be afraid of their assurance in Christ, or they again they just think as you've heard me use that language. They think I am bad, God is mad, and And it's very hard for them to even look up to heaven and trust in God's advocacy because they have been listening to that religious voice pointing to a standard versus to an advocate. Mm. And, you know, I think being a daddy and a granddaddy, you don't have to be to represent God's love towards humanity. But it's really been a good lesson for me that if I, who am corrupt, can love my family more than they will ever know. I would be willing to lay down my life or move heaven and earth in my power to do what I can for them. How much better is God who has laid down his life and who has moved heaven and earth to redeem us? And I always say, therefore, I would rather have a kid who's messy than have no kid at all. But I would never want my child to run away from me thinking I'm mad, they're bad, and uh, discount my redemptive heart toward them. And so how much better is God? And that's why it's so important to have that awareness. So whenever I come to a church and speak, one of my opening statements is this is a shame-free zone. I am not coming to give you a moral lecture when I talk to you about sexuality. You've already heard it. I'm coming to share with you what I learned about God's outstanding character and his ability through his spirit and his word and his people to help us get our lives back on track, to grow up into responsible stewardship of mind and body. God doesn't love rules. He loves people and he wants our lives to be healthy, that we don't hurt us and we don't hurt others. That's all. And, And so My teachings are there to instruct and empower and inspire people toward, you know, God and his good outcomes in our lives. It's not to shame. Um, People get quite enough of that.
0: You know, I have to say, too, in, in terms of stewardship and stewarding people's lives, you've really helped me, and I'm sure countless others uh, to get my thinking right, I, I've I've I think I've used wrong terms in the past. I think sometimes people use certain phobias or whatnot, and I just want to say thank you too. You, you you've helped me think about um, even even the way to talk about things and the way to approach people. And you know, so many people have a have a history and a past of sexual misadventure, and That's right. th- and they often feel. Um, disqualified. And then what ends up happening too, I think, is um, we end up in ministry and in leadership. And if we haven't dealt with those issues, we end up feeling disqualified from leading. It's like here I feel God calling me to lead in ministry. but I feel so disqualified on the inside because of where I'm coming from, where I've been. What would you say today to the leader who feels disqualified? They feel called by God to do what they're doing, but man, my past, I've been I've been to hell and back. You know, and I, I don't feel like I deserve to be here. What would you say to that leader
2: right now? I would say, I, well, as you can imagine, and especially being highly caffeinated, and I, 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 I have several things to say about that that I hope <laughs> will encourage. Because to those of you who are listening who are in ministry, service. Ministry simply means service. For those of you who are in the service of the kingdom of God's advancement in other people, certainly it must advance in your own life too. We can, we can only lead others where we've been led. But God knows Absolutely. all of that. And let me say at one point, when I was really struggling with issues in my life, like my thought life, uh, you know, I, I was feeling very ashamed because we are talking decades ago when we didn't have these conversations. We didn't have the resources and the understanding of the human condition that we do now to be able to own the truth about our humanity and then deal with it responsibly. And, and we lived at a time of hyper-religious attitude that Christians shouldn't have these things in their lives. And... and and therefore, you know, the implication is if you struggle, then you're bad and God is mad. And, and again, that's not the truth. That's a religious view, not a redemptive view. Yes. And here's the bigger redemptive view. I was struggling with my thought life. You know, I learned 10 minutes after being born again, the blood of Jesus washed away my guilt, but not my memories, not my fantasies. Yeah not my desires. (laughs) However, now that Jesus is in my life, the Holy Spirit in my life and the word of God to illumine my path and convict me, I now had advocacy to deal with those things. They would not get the best of me, even if they did present a bit of a struggle or an arm wrestling match from time to time. It's kind of like babies learning to walk. No baby is born walking uprightly. They're born with the potential to learn how, but they have to learn how in the face of failure. And when they fall down, parents don't say, what an evil baby, shame on you, don't you know God made you to walk uprightly? I mean, the truth is true. Yes, he did make us to walk uprightly, but learning how is the learning curve of failing and getting up and not giving up and pressing through because we are designed to one day turn that corner and master mind and body. So we have all these people who come to faith from various degrees of sexual experience. For some, it's in their head only. For others, they have crossed certain boundaries. And so they have the memories and the patterns there that they used to feed. The blood of Jesus washed away the guilt, but not the patterns, not the memories, and not the vulnerabilities. But now we begin to deal. But I didn't know that. I was just struggling with my thought life, and I felt so ashamed. And then the Lord began to speak to me. And in so many words, he said this idea to me. Si, do I know everything? Yes, Lord, it is believed that you do. And, and Si, do I know everything about you? Yes, Lord, you say my days are numbered in your book and that you count the hairs on my head and that you were acquainted with my ways. Very good, Si. I even knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb and I created works in advance for you to achieve, fully knowing all about you. Would you agree? Yes, Lord. Well, then in light of that, what I have foreseen, that even before you gave your life to me, that you would still struggle with things after being born again, things with your flesh, things with your history, things with your memory. What I have foreseen, that you would struggle with those things. Yes, Lord, I guess you would have foreseen it. And yet, I did I still choose to save you, anoint you, and call you and launch you into service? Yes, Lord. Then could we agree that I would rather have a son who's a bit messy and has some risks and vulnerabilities? Would I rather have a son like that than have no son at all? Yes, I guess you would, Lord. Very good. So if you fall down sight, get up. You get dirty, wash off. But don't give up on me. Don't give up on you. Get up and walk forward because I do not set you up to fail. They set you up to succeed as you grow into responsible stewardship of mind and body. So I hope that little story will resonate with those of you who are listening who struggle with things. Uh, Let me add one more layer to this. When I go to any church, and let alone in my own church, you know, I assume that every single person ministering on that platform those making announcements, those who are leading worship, those who are backup singers, those who you know preach the word, that anybody and everybody on that platform, they all are sexual creatures. They all have a variety of vulnerabilities and some degree of history. And yet I'm assuming, and giving them the benefit of the doubt, that they're dealing with that reasonably responsibly. And dealing with it does not mean uh, we shouldn't have those issues. It means I recognize my humanity. I am aware that I could struggle from time to time and be vulnerable with regard to these concerns, and I'm going to deal with that. That's not hypocrisy. That's called humility and integrity. Integrity is not the absence of struggle or risk or vulnerability. It's how you manage it. And the first way we manage is to be self-aware that, yeah, I have feelings. I have desires. I sometimes find them provoked for no reason I was looking, but there they are. But it's how I deal with that that matters. And in a similar way, there may be something from the past that haunts or calls my name, but God is calling my name. And something in the past may ask me to bow down to it still, uh, but God is asking me to bow down to him now. And so I have a choice to whom I yield myself sex is a powerful master. God is a more powerful master. Depends to whom I bow. And that bowing down to God was demonstrated by Christ. He is our model of dealing with his humanity. And he was tempted in every way we are. This did not disqualify his messiahship. And therefore, I have a way to deal with my humanity with integrity. And that means I'm aware of it, and I'm taking responsible action to deal with it rather than thinking, oh no, I shouldn't have this. I'm bad, God's mad. No, I'm human and vulnerable, and I'm going to run to God, not from him. And sometimes running to God means seeing a therapist. Sometimes it means talking to a trusted friend. Sometimes it means uh, disclosing to your upline. Uh, There are a variety of ways that may be appropriate to deal, but it is not a hypocrite to be on the platform and say, yeah, I have dirty thoughts. I'm not going to tell you not to have them. I'm going to tell you how I have them and how I deal with them because you can deal with them too.
0: Well, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Sai. I'm excited to let you know that next week we will be continuing our conversation with Sai. As you can tell, he's got a lot to say and we want to hear it all. So you're going to want to check that out uh, next week. If this podcast has resonated with you, I'd really love, I'd, I'd feel so honored if you'd help us out by becoming a podcast ambassador. And what that simply means is, is by committing to share the podcast with your team or with someone who doesn't yet know about it, if you think this can help someone, uh, I'd encourage you to do that. Also, help us out by leaving a rating or a comment. However you listen to this, uh, we would love to hear from you. Until next time, Leading Second, we love you. So honored and thankful we get to do life with you, even though we may not know you. We're praying for you. We're in your corner. Until next time, let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together.
1: For information, check out leadingsecond.com or join us on the Leading Second Forum on Facebook.